Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn. And I'm Andrea Ballard. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. On today's show, we're wrapping up our celebration of National Baking Month with our fourth and final 2017 baking resolution, Explore an Old-Fashioned Recipe. We decipher the unusually named, but delicious, snows, flummeries, and syllabubs of yesteryear. We're also going to share some of our favorite store-bought treats because Oreos are a national treasure for a reason. So pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, last week we were talking about two of your favorite food memoirs, and I wanted to mention one that's a huge favorite of mine. Oh, absolutely. Go for it. The author is Frank Bruni. That's spelled B-R-U-N-I. And he was a food critic for The New York Times. His book is called Born Round. Oh, and it's, oh, I just kind of love that. <laughs> it's, all, it's all about growing up Italian in a family that loves food and wouldn't imagine getting together without, you know, 40 yeah. pounds of lasagna and 80 pounds of meatballs. And a really interesting twist is the fact that he uh, has issues with o- overeating and an eating disorder. Okay. And so imagine if you're struggling with that and your job is to be a New York Times food critic. Your job is to eat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was fascinating. I highly recommend it. Born Round. Um, we just continue to find food-related books that we love. And listeners, we'd love to hear some of yours. So please post for us and let us know what you're reading, whether it is food-related or not. Yeah, Steph abs- and I both absolutely. Love books. Yeah. Thank you for that other recommendation. Love it. Thank you, Andrea. Yeah. Um, we're going to jump into the Gadget Garage this oh, week. We haven't been here in a while. Hello, Gadget Garage. <laughs> we haven't visited our small appliances world, but um, I have pulled out my Vitamix. I always have my Vitamix handy. So for those of you who don't know what a Vitamix is, it's basically a blender with the engine of a lawnmower. I mean, <laughs> this thing can pulverize anything. Um, my husband gave it to me as a birthday present one year, and although as you know, a general rule, I don't recommend getting your wife a gift with an electric plug attached when it comes, <laughs> comes if, to If you asked for it, then it's a whole nother ball game. Yeah. There, there you go. And I just absolutely love this thing. It's funny. I didn't even ask for this. He actually wanted it. What happened was my blender from college broke. I had one of those Westinghouse glass blenders, glass uh, pitcher blenders, and it broke. And when I went to get a new pitcher, I started looking into blenders and I realized blenders had kind of changed in the last 25 years. I mean, uh, yours really get, you really did give it, uh, give it a good life, didn't you? I yeah, did. <laughs> I did. And so I got the Vitamix and um, it's not cheap, but I justified it by the fact that um, my old blender, I pretty much used it for margaritas. I can't <laughs> remember. I mean, that's probably the life of most blenders. <laughs> I can't remember using it for much else. But with the Vitamix, 
you know, um, it really does work as advertised. You can use it to make soups. You can use it to make smoothies. And I make lots of green smoothies. So it's January. Uh, we're still baking up a storm, but I also need to counteract that by getting my five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. And there's just nothing easier than throwing into my Vitamix. Like this morning, I threw in a huge handful of spinach, a couple of stalks of celery, half a lemon. I didn't even peel the lemon. I just threw half of a lemon in there. Um, a um, little bit of protein powder, half of an apple and half of a banana and some ice and whipped it all up and it's deliciously smooth. And there's my five servings of fruits and vegetables and it tastes good. I also used it when I was baking because my macaroon recipe that we talked about in um, episode 11, reviewed yeah. in episode 11, one of the ingredients was listed as almond flour. And in parentheses, the author, David Leibovitz, had said, don't use store-bought almond flour. Grind your own. Otherwise, it won't be fine enough. And so I took some almonds and I threw them in a Vitamix. And then I made the mistake of turning my head and, and getting distracted and looking at something else. And when I turned around, I had made almond butter. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So, I mean, point of clarification, is almond flour just ground almonds? It is. Okay. Okay. Yes. But you yes. go too far and you've made mm. almond butter. And it's so now you know it's really easy to make almond butter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I scraped that out and uh, ate some of it on apple and it was fabulous. And then I went back and did my almond flour and this time I watched much more closely. So that's just my little foray into the gadget garage this week. I um, recommend the Vitamix. Anyone who's interested in maybe thinking of springing for one, feel free to shoot me an email. I'm happy to answer any questions about all the other things I use it for. Yeah, my brother and his wife love their Vitamix. And it's an investment for sure, uh, but it, it will do anything. I mean, I, I, it's it's like you said, the the jaws of life there, chewing up your lemon and, and all your ingredients. It's, uh, it's a powerhouse. They love it. it so, well, I'm really glad that we stepped into the Gadget Garage because this segues nicely into our review of our non-traditional recipe, which was our Chipotle almond bark. I, as you may remember from, gosh, episode seven or eight, I was really hoping Santa would bring me a food scale. And he did. Yay! Oh, <laughs> so this was the first recipe that I was actually able to use that for because it has a lot of different baking chips. And they came in different measurements than my the quantity that was in my bag. So I got to pour them in and do all the measuring and it was great. And I thought it was a really nice, mess-free way to start with my scale. I was actually pretty astonished at how much each chip would weigh. You know, I would need like six ounces of something and I would take one chip out and I would go from 6.1 down to six. And uh -huh. so I, I know that it was so accurate and also that, my, you know, my eyeballing that I've been doing for years and years was likely so inaccurate. So really happy to have that <laughs> in my garage now. Um, so I'm going to jump in and start our review of the spicy chocolate bark with chipotle and almonds. Um, we had talked a, a briefly about using that chipotle powder. And I really think that, first off, that's really crucial. You don't want to substitute that chipotle, unlike a maybe a more traditional chili powder you would find, It's it's um, it has a really intense smokiness as well as the spicy. And that's really mm -hmm. what you're going for here to mix in with the with the chocolate. You use chocolate buttons or she calls them chocolate melting wafers. And I was a little unsure about what those were. They're they're kind of a subsection for candy making. And they seem to be chocolate with um 
like a shortening already added into the mix. So they're very, very smooth. They melt really beautifully. I bought mm-hmm. all of mine on Amazon. There's the the pink wafers, the dark chocolate wafers, and then the white wafers. Um, so yeah, but then I started encountering some issues. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yes. What so happened? Th- so the first thing is um when it was all said and done, um, I'm I'm tasting the chips as I go. Of course I am. <laughs> well, know? sure. Of course I am. As a, it's oh six point one. Well, I guess I better eat that last one to take it out of my food scale. <laughs> I Andrea, I I'm tasting the pink chip, and I thought to myself, what What does this taste remind me of? It doesn't taste like chocolate. What? But it reminds me of something. And you know what it was? It struck me. It was the coating on those circus animal crackers you can buy at the grocery store. Oh, yeah. That is what the flavor was. And, you know, they have like the sprinkles. And in fact, I think they come in pink and white. And you're right. And, um, you know, I am not above having a bag of those. Definitely not. But so that that was kind of intriguing to me. Um, And so I I thought that uh, I thought, though, that when all was said and done, this was too chunky to be bark. It's in an eight by eight inch pan. Mm-hmm. And to me, bark is more, it's more thin. And in fact, mm-hmm. she says, you know, you can um, refrigerate till hardened and then um, break into pieces. Well, mm-hmm. mine was much too thick to break. It was like two or two and a half inches thick. Mm. And so I had a problem at the end then. Um, everything swirled nicely. Everything melted nicely. Um but it was more like a big, chunky piece of candy. And so for that reason, I I could taste that really artificial pink flavor coming through much mm-hmm. too strongly. I wanted more of the chocolate and the chipotle, which I think was really good and really, really worked. So if I do this recipe again, I will use a, maybe even like a sheet pan. So it's much thinner. I can get the swirl, which I think is really pretty, but mm-hmm. then maybe distribute that that flavor profile a little more. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What what did you think about this recipe? Well, uh, it, this recipe is really interesting to me. I picked it, I mentioned last week, because of the chipotle. Yeah. And then, um, as usual, I did not thoroughly read the recipe ahead of time. So it wasn't until you had told me, like, hey, I've ordered this stuff. It's starting to arrive that I even realized we would be using these melting wafers. And, you know, so immediately it was like, oh, that's interesting. I picked it because I thought, oh, try something new, try Chipotle. But it turns out what I'm trying new is these melting wafers. And, yeah, that's um, right. They arrived in the mail. And like you, or uh, I decided to try mine immediately. <laughs> and um, surprise, surprise, I did not like them. Okay. Yep. So, um, you know, no problem. I will just modify because that's what I like to do anyway. So here's the differences that I made. And I have to tell you, this might be one of my new favorite desserts, but but that's based on the changes that I made. So the fiddling has worked. The fiddling oh, worked. Oh, yes. A success for fiddling. <laughs> for once. For once, my inability to follow a recipe pays off. So first of all, instead of the dark chocolate wafers, I used a um, dark chocolate ganache recipe from last week's, from the macaroons, from David Leibovitz macaroon filling. Oh. Uh, Because I had so many of my macaroons break, I had a lot of filling left over. So I had already made it. So I had made that with a really high quality, 70% dark chocolate, um, heavy cream, butter, and, you know, just a tiny little bit of salt. So 
that was good. And it just made this, you know, (laughs) that was good. (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful dark chocolate ganache. So I used that as my dark chocolate base, poured it in the pan. um, And of course, added the chipotle chili powder, which I loved. And um, so, you know, and and then just tasting that, just that dark chocolate Mm -hmm. with the chipotle chili powder, I was like, okay, this in and of itself is I could turn this into a candy bar and eat it. So I was already happy. Yeah, you could stop right there. I could have. You know, yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm -hmm. So I put that in the fridge to chill. And then, you know, the recipe states, so 12 ounces of the dark chocolate and then six ounces of the white and 12 ounces of the pink. So, Mm -hmm. you know, an equal amount of pink and half of the white. And I cut both of those by, gosh, probably three quarters. Okay. I, I melted maybe three ounces of the pink and maybe two ounces, if not one ounce of the white. Okay. And so I just did a very, very thin shell of the pink. And then uh, just a tiny little swirl of the white through. And you'll see in my photos, um, I'm not sure it's as pretty as the one on the website because there's not as much of the pink and the white. And the chocolate definitely, the dark chocolate definitely outweighs those two. But I just think from a flavor profile, I don't think those um, flavors were horrible, the pink and the white melting wafers. They, I just didn't think they were great. You know, I, I didn't feel like they were going to add a lot other than the color and the visual interest. So yeah, exactly. I put those two on in a very thin shell, and then I put the ground almonds on top, and I not ground chopped. I added, I think, extra. I really went heavy on the almonds since I had gone lighter on the the white chocolate and the pink chocolate. And then um, because I had it handy, I grabbed some um, cypress black lava sea salt, and I sprinkled that over the top because I just thought it looked like fun to me. Um, Because you're so fancy. I'm so fancy. (laughs) And... um, those flavors together, that dark chocolate with the smoky chipotle powder and then that um, sea salt on top and the almonds, I just thought it worked really well. It's not a bark. It's it's definitely a dish. You can pick it up and eat it with your fingers, but because it's a ganache, it's soft. Um, so you, maybe you would eat it with a fork. Uh, I'm, I'm just, you know, eating it with my hands. It's not, <laughs> not a problem. <laughs> Bare hands, but, yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll post our modified recipe on our website, um, and you know, then I'll include a link to the original as well. But I'd be interested for people who who like chocolate and don't want, as Stefan mentioned, kind of a, a big thick candy bar, <laughs> or, or you don't want to do it in a sheet pan. This this is just another way to do it. Yeah, and I really like you know how you said just the the chocolate and the chipotle, and you know you could just maybe just doing away with this pink melting chocolate, which I don't think in the quantities that the original recipe calls for. I just, I don't think it's adding anything. And I think it's really distracting. So I like how you really cut way back on that because it is really pretty. It's mm-hmm. it's a really arresting, very vivid pink color. Um, I think you could just do the dark chocolate, maybe stop there and just put your almonds and your sea salt with the chipotle. I think that would be really good oh, too. Sure. Um, yeah. Maybe not as visually pleasing, but still really tasty. Um, yeah. I think the other thing you could do is take a really high quality white chocolate, like we talked about back in um, episode nine, our champagne cheesecake shooters, and um, maybe just put in a little bit of pink or red gel food coloring as yep. you melt. Mm-hmm. Good idea. Um, and, and I think that would serve the same purpose, but you would have a, a good, a nice, good, high quality chocolate. Yeah, I love it. So some we're not going to stop using smoky chipotle powder, which we both really like, nor am I going to stop using my food scale because that was really exciting. But some yeah. really cool modifications. I would love to see that. I would definitely try it again with your ganache 
um, modification, Andrea. Yeah, I hope you will. Well, and um, how fun to get confirmation that Santa is listening to Preheated. Santa's a friend of the podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Wow. Maybe he'll join the Facebook group, too. Oh, yeah. Um, um, I'm sure he's a he's a fudgy brownie guy, don't you think? <laughs> I think so. I mean, take a look at him. Come on. Yes. <laughs> Hey, so we are going to go into our final um, resolution, our final 2017 baking resolution, which is to try an old-fashioned dessert. And it's it's really well established by now that Andrea and I love old-fashioned cookbooks and vintage recipes. And we thought, you know, it's it's really fun to look at these, these dishes that don't get a lot of play anymore and have kind of fallen out of vogue. And we've picked a recipe from one of my very favorite cookbooks that is called Classic Home Desserts by Richard Sachs. And I referenced it back in episode episode zero. It's one I turned to again and again. It's a lovely book. And, you know, aside from being a cook and a baker, I'm also a history buff. And so I love this cookbook because he talks about the origin of recipes and Mm -hmm. he'll have reprints of the vintage recipe. And then, in fact, the one that we are recommending uh, is a modification of a 17th century or excuse me, 18th century um, recipe. So he's bringing things up to date for the modern palettes. So um, we are making a raspberry flummery. And, you know, these these recipes have hysterical names as well, which is part of the fun. Fools and and snows and flummeries. And they all, Andrea, um, fall in the category of what's called a dessert cream and jelly. Oh. And here we go. Um, you're going to recognize a very, very famous historical figure has something to do with all of these as well. So just to have a quick rundown, um, a syllabub is a frothy, boozy whipped cream that was originally a beverage, so almost like an eggnog. Um, A fool is crushed fruit with cream folded in, and you will sometimes still see a variation on on that today. A snow is a fruit puree, but it has whipped egg white in it. And then finally, a flummery, it's technically a thickened fruit pudding, and in olden days, the fruit was thickened with everything from oatmeal to, get ready for it, uh, something called isinglass. I hope I'm saying that correctly, which is gelatin made from fish. And actually, oh. isinglass is still used today for people who keep kosher or are who are very strict vegetarians. It's still a gelatin product that's oh. available today. Interesting. So okay. all of these desserts were brought to the U.S. by none other than Thomas Jefferson. Oh. In the 1700s, he was minister to France, and these were popular desserts in France, and he brought them back to the States. He also brought back a lot of other foods we love and know, such as macaroni, vanilla bean, (laughs) olive oil, anchovies, and several French wines. So thank you, Tommy, for that. Um, (laughs) His contributions to our country are endless. They they truly are so important. Um, They kind of fell out of favor because prior to the start of the 20th century, actually quite late, powdered commercial gelatin came on the market then. So if you wanted to make a gelatin dessert prior to that, you had to render your own gelatin from calves feet or from those poor <laughs> fish that we just talked about. So, you right. know, you really have to love dessert to be able to um, go through all of that. Right. Oh, things have changed. Totally. So um, this flummery is a reinterpretation of an 18th century recipe that Richard has modified. And it just it's um, it's fairly simple. It's raspberries and sugar and a little unflavored gelatin, just your Knox unflavored gelatin you can find mm-hmm. easily at the store. And um, 
I really, I really hope that we can bring this one back into vogue. I think it's going to be beautiful and refreshing and hopefully a lot of fun. So we will post that recipe on preheatedpodcast.com as well as our Facebook and Pinterest. And we hope that folks take a little walk down memory lane with us as well. I can't wait. I love reading Harry Potter books. And I feel like when I started reading your list of flummeries and snows and things, it reminded me of reading Harry Potter and all the delicious desserts that they always have listed in there. It does. And it sounds like such a nonsense word. You it know, does. it kind of it is, does. I guess. And and that's part of the fun. Um, you know, I think when we think of Jello desserts these days, we think <laughs> of kind of the, you know, like the joke of like the Jello mold that's like climbing off right. the plate or or any of that. And and that's probably another reason why why Jello gelatin based desserts kind of have fallen out of vogue as well. But this sounds very elegant to me. And guess what, Andrea? Richard recommends that you serve it in a coupe. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> And and since Santa did listen to the podcast, I have my own coupe. No, that's Santa's helper. Stefan was Aww. kind enough to send me one for Christmas. Yeah, so. we have the preheated podcast coupes now. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, so definitely um, looking forward to trying that. Can't wait. Well, listeners, while flummery might be something you've never heard of, we're guessing that you have heard of our next item we're going to be talking about, Oreos. Um, <laughs> oh, have you heard of those? What's that? Have you heard of those, anyone? Stefan and I would love to chat a little bit about some of those items that we just don't think there's any replacement for. You pick them up at the grocery store. It's not something you're going to try and recreate at home. And I am going to start with the classic, which is Oreos. I absolutely love them. Um, as a child, my mother was always trying to pinch pennies. And so she did not buy Oreo brand Oreos. She brought a generic brand home. And uh, I felt very aggrieved by this <laughs> injustice as a child. Um, I could tell the difference. I was convinced I could tell the difference. I would go to my friend's homes and I would have Oreos and I would go back to our house and have um, the generics and they just were not the same. Oh. Oh my and gosh, so, oh, Andrea, you know, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was a it was a fairly rough environment to grow up in, but you know, of course, I swore to myself, like like Scarlett O'Hara, that one day you know, I'd buy my own Oreos, and um, I used them. In fact, I had mentioned on an earlier episode that for my daughter's birthday, I made a ice cream cake, and That's right. it has Oreos, um, Oreo crust for the crust and then Oreos on top, uh, you know, chunked up and, and made into crumbs and thrown across the filling. And I don't buy them a lot. So I hadn't really investigated the Oreo offerings recently. Oh my gosh, are there a million variations now? And so yeah. what I bought, uh, which I loved where they have these new ones that are super thin, they're called Oreo Thin, so kind of the opposite of the Oreo Double Stuff or Triple Stuff, and uh, they were mint. So they were mm. the super, super thin chocolate wafers with just a tiny little bit of mint inside, and um, we used those in the recipe as directed, and we cleaned up the rest of them just standing there at the counter, and they were fabulous. So Yeah, mint Oreos have overtaken the traditional as my family's favorite. Yeah. They are really good. Um, for Christmas Eve this year, I made a trifle and it called for, it was called a chocolate cookie trifle. And it was layers of homemade pudding and whipped cream, homemade mm. chocolate pudding and whipped cream. And then in between the layers, you had a combo of just those um, 
famous chocolate wafers, which is kind of like the the cookie part of the Oreo, but um, no filling. Um, so you pulverize those and some Oreo, and that was the the layer between the the pudding and the whipping cream, and that was that was wonderful. That really, my kids were oh. really really happy with that dessert. I, I mean, everybody was. It was it was quite good. Um, I find that I use a lot of store bought cookies, you know, as part of a bigger dessert. So for example, my favorite cheesecake recipe, I think I've mentioned before, has a ginger snap crust. And yes, you can buy this box of um, ginger snaps and they're very, very snappy. They're, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're super, really super crunchy. Ones. Yeah, but they have a really intense ginger taste. I love those not only for my crust, but just for, for snacking. They're really good with a cup of tea. Um, I also have this really ridiculous, it's like a brownie trifle. You take the brownie scraps, you know, um, you know how you like to tidy up your your pan of, yes. of cookies. So this would be a good application. So it's like all these little brownie scraps, and then you pulverize it with nutter butters, which is a peanut butter <laughs> cookie. And you, oh, one of my, oh my God. And you favorites. like roll it up and that's that's really good too. Um so so yeah, I'm I um when I was a kid, my mom we had those like soft oatmeal cookies. Who's the maker of those? It's um oh they make a they make a variety of them, but um yeah I've never I've never bypassed the store bought cookie aisle for long. It uh, re- will regularly fall into my shopping cart something or other there. So yeah. there's just yeah. no there's just no replacement for some of that stuff. You could you could you could try, but I I mean you know nothing's gonna beat just a good old. Name brand Oreo. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Make sure you get name brand. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get to our dishes. Join us next week for a short bonus episode where we'll review our old-fashioned dessert and award our coveted blue ribbon to our favorite New Year's baking resolution. Also, I'll report in from my recent travels to Nashville, Tennessee. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on our Facebook group, Preheated, and on Pinterest. You can also download us on iTunes, where we'd love it if you'd go on and subscribe to the show and give us a five-star review, both of which will help other people find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.